Fair Hill Church? Oh, come on. Good morning, Fair Hill Church. Good morning. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, kids can be dismissed uh, to the kids' lesson. They'll make their palm fronds and wave them around. Uh, all right. Uh, that's, a, that's a difficult song to sing, that, to, that less of us and, and more of Christ and that we'd be content with, with nothing but Christ and to lose everything. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. So, uh, so it is Palm Sunday. This is a great day where Jesus comes riding in in triumph of no other day comparatively is Jesus acknowledged in all of his, his greatness and his majesty and his, in his kingship. And it's this great and glorious day where he, is, he, is, he gets to be great. And he gets to be praised. He gets to be well-regarded and well-received. And we like that. We like that day. And we like that day partially because no, partially we like Jesus, but also because uh, if we're associated with Jesus, uh, then we get a little bit of that in return. Uh, that, yeah, that's our king. Our king is praised and received and, and rejoiced in. Because we want to, we want to be great, and we want to be praised, and we want to be part of something that is great. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. What does it look like to follow Jesus in greatness? What does it look like to, to be great in his kingdom, not in the kingdoms of the world? And how can we pursue it? And uh, how does Jesus help his disciples kind of grapple with this, not just in this kind of theological abstract, but in the every day of our lives, how can we actually enter into the greatness of Christ and share in some of that triumph and glory and kingship with him? We all want, long for it. How does Jesus offer it to us? So with that, we're going to look at Mark 9, verses 30 through 37, and uh, it'll be on the screens. Let's go ahead and read this. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered over into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask. And they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they were kept silent, for on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that he came in glory, but... Father, is it not enough for him to come in glory, but he came also to die and to raise from the dead that his greatness might be proclaimed and that we might enter into it. Father, I ask that you would help us to understand these things, 
and to ask the right questions that we would not be afraid to know the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, but it would be our great hope uh, for life, for glory, for, for greatness that cannot be found any other place but in Christ. Father, would you help us uh, that we would sing songs like these ones, um, not with, with empty words, but with full hearts, knowing that it's true. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have this great king. And the triumphal entry, it's, it's kind of this, uh, it's very much the expected action of the king. He rides in, he receives glory, he receives praise. Uh, but this whole time, Jesus has been trying to prepare his disciples. He's getting his disciples away from the crowds, away from the people, so he can help them see what is the nature of the kingdom and what, what kind of king is he going to be? And he has to repeat it over and over and over, uh, trying to explain that he's going to be a king who comes and dies. This is the second prediction of the three. They went from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. When he is killed after three days, he will rise. All right. Now you see this kind of weird contrast here in his phrase. He, first, he talks about being the son of man. Not just a son of man. That's just a human. He is the son of man. The son of man, the, the glorious one. Daniel 7, 14, 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the Son of Man and where is he standing? He's standing before the Ancient of Days. In the place of glory, he is receiving praise and honor from all of the nations, every tongue. And he is establishing an everlasting kingdom. All right, this is the Great One in all of his greatness and glory. And he knows it and he calls himself the Son of Man so that everyone would remember this passage and know that this is his kingdom that he is establishing and then he has this son of man, which everyone kind of, the disciples would understand. And he goes into what the son of man then is going to do. Delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. When he is killed after three days, he will rise again. All right. So this, this king in all of his glory, this ancient, he stands in the presence of the ancient one. He receives all, all praise from every tongue. All right, he will submit to the hands of men and be delivered over to them, and he will submit to death, to be killed by these people who think that in their religious superiority, they are the great ones. And to hold on to their greatness, they, they will kill the glorious king. That is the, that is the mission of Jesus. That is the purpose of Jesus' coming, that he would submit to death and then rise from the dead. 
and the disciples. They did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. All right, we get the confusion here. All right, so you have Son of Man, eternal, eternal glory, eternal kingdom, and then we have his, his dying. And we can understand how they might be confused. But by this time, they should have figured it out. All right, there's a bridge that links the two, uh, this whole rising from the dead thing. And they've been told again and again that he's going to raise, he's going to, he's risen other people from the dead, he is the resurrector of the dead, there's been promises that this would happen, he has said it, point blank, and yet they do not understand and they were afraid to ask him. All right. Why don't they understand? Why don't they understand? They don't understand because they don't want to understand. They were too afraid to understand. And they don't ask the question because they don't want to know the answer. All right, an illustration of this. Uh, I have a certain four-year-old. <laughs> I'm trying to be vague about this because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> who is learning to ride the bike, ride a bike. Okay, so he's, he's riding a bike. Uh, it was going all, all, was, all was good in the world until he unceremoniously, like, shot down a ditch and, <laughs> and like, get, like, totally gut-punched by, by the handlebars, and he, he falls off, and I was just watching, and I didn't, do, I didn't save him. Uh, not intentionally. I would have tried. I thought, he was, I thought he'd jump off. He didn't. All right, so, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but what do I tell him? Like, he needs to get back on the horse, and what do I say? I say, like, all right, let's, let's get back on. And all of a sudden, he has bike amnesia. All right. He doesn't understand any of, any of this. What is a bike? And how, I, how, how, do you, how do you get on? And suddenly he's like, my pants are so tight. And he's like trying to, I can't get up there. I can't get on that bike. And then he has other questions like, you know, why, why is this, this part sticking out? Like, buddy, that part always sticks out. That's just, that holds it together. Can, can we, we need to take it off. No, we don't, bud. <laughs> All right, what, what's this thing? Like, that's the, like, padding. So if you hit your face, I'll hit my face. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, like, how, how, how do I do this? All right. And he kept asking questions until we had to, like, get, like, why don't you want to get on this? Like, are you afraid you're going to fall again? Yes. All right. Did he not understand how to get on the bike? No. He knew what the, the bike meant. He didn't want to die again. And I was telling him, you know, it, time, time to die again, and we'll, we'll be fine. Trust me as your dad. Uh, all right, that's what's happening here. It's not that they, they really can't understand what Jesus is saying. They don't believe it, and they don't want to see it. And what is he saying? He's saying, you know, I'm going to die, and, and accordingly, uh, you're going to follow me into death. And that doesn't sound like a good plan. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That's not intuitively what, what they want their king to be doing. And so they don't want to understand. They don't want a king who does this. They don't want that path. And as much as we may point our fingers at the disciples, uh, you know that you are, I know that I am, willfully, willfully ignorant to what our, our Lord really calls us to. And we feign confusion. And maybe even we willfully try not to understand so that we don't have to follow these footsteps. I get that. And that's where some of you, some of you have 
all of us, all of us have a couple of them, uh, where you have pieced together like three half verses and like the lyrics from a bad Christian song and like some quote that you heard on Facebook that, from a preacher that you wouldn't normally listen to, but you, you happened to stumble upon it, and he kind of implied, and you put all this together and said, and said you know what, I'm going to put that against the very clear commandment of Jesus about blank, and we say, you know what, I, I don't understand what he's meaning. Ah, this makes, this, I can try to, ah, it's just so confusing. There's so many different ways this can be interpreted. I don't have to do it. I don't have to die. I don't have to, I don't have to pick up the cross. I don't have to follow this Jesus willful, willful confusion. All right, that's, that's what we're dealing with. And I have to ask us, like, what are those areas where you've made a lot of justification, you've actively confused yourself and acted like you don't understand uh, the, the clear calling for the people of Christ to follow Christ into death and resurrection. All right, that's what we're dealing with. And that's how Jesus is coming to his disciples. The question should be, how are you calling me, Jesus, to come, come and die? Now, what question instead of that question is on the disciples' minds? Uh, a very different one. And Jesus knows that we don't have the right questions on our mind. And so he, he asked them. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? On the way. All right, the way, he's, he's kind of, he's, he's gutting them a little bit. All right, the way is the kind of the first Christian, that, that's the first name for the Christian life, the way. And it's the way of the cross, that's, that's how they understand it. It's, and Jesus, as he's talking, he's saying, here, you, know, you, you realize we're on the way to Jerusalem for me to go die, but what were you talking about on the way? And like these, these school children, caught and, and unwilling to admit, they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And we can imagine this scene. You can imagine, uh, you know, only three people got to see the transfiguration. <laughs> And you could talk about, you know, well, uh, you know, uh, we, we went up and I can't tell you about it because Jesus said I wasn't allowed to. All right, then you have other people. Uh, Peter probably makes his case. You know, remember that time I walked on water? And then the other ones were like, yeah, and then you drowned after and he had to pick you up. Uh, or like Peter was like, you know, I, I was the first one to know that he was the Messiah. And then they say, and then he said, get behind me, Satan, because uh, he screwed all that up. Uh, or others, maybe, maybe Judas was saying how much he'd collected for the poor. He was in charge of the purse. Maybe, uh, maybe they were talking about how many demons they'd cast out. Then the other ones were insulting them because last week they, they failed to cast out certain demons. And you can imagine them comparing and, and jockeying for the, the, the greatest of spaces. All as Jesus, the great one, the son of man, is talking about how he's going to go die and be killed for the, for the sake of humanity. All right, that's, 
That's the hearts of, of Christians as we follow Jesus. That's the reality of the disconnect between who he is and what he did and who we are and what we're called to. And notice, it's not just that they're saying like, hey, I, I want to be great. No, it's, it's, it's who's the greatest? And that's, that's more so the question. Because it, you, can, you can be great in the kingdom of God. Uh, you can't be greatest. And the more you are obsessed with being the greatest, uh, the more the Christian life will make no sense and you'll be sapped of all joy and you'll be miserable. All right, C.S. Lewis has this quote, which I'm sure you've heard before, but you're going to hear again. Uh, every C.S. Lewis quote has been used before, so uh, you just need to memorize them all now. Um, and then you can be a pastor too. Um, <laughs> all right. uh, pride, is, pride is essentially competitive. Pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If anyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of having above the rest, or being above the rest, excuse me. Once the element of competition is gone, pride has gone. All right, so this is our hearts, and C.S. Lewis, he's trying to help us see that, like, this is a total black hole. And not only will you be, like, just totally off base in the kingdom of God, you'll also, you'll have no pleasure in any of the things that you have. You won't be able to delight in any of whatever greatness you may muster because in a second's notice, it can be, it can be snatched away because it's not as great as the person next to you. And you're constantly, like, looking around and, assessing and comparing. All right, this will ruin your joy. It'll ruin your joy. And if this is your method for greatness, uh, you're just one person away from falling. And you, you won't have... Uh, you'll hate other people because they're a threat to your greatness. And you'll have no eyes to see anything that needs to be done because all that matters is, is you and your, your power play. I also want to remind us, um, just because you know you're not the greatest doesn't mean that you're not playing this game still. You can be, you can be losing the game and still playing the game. And you can be a really sore loser. All right, I think of the, um, the evil queen from Snow White. All right, that's her name, actually. I had to look it up. I had to type, yeah, that's, that's part of my responsibility. Like, what's her name? It's just Evil Queen. All right, she's the Evil Queen. Uh, all right, she spends all of her time. She has an omniscient magical mirror, mirror, and she uses it to make sure that she's the most beautiful in her kingdom. All right, this is a proud woman. For a long time, she is the, she is the most beautiful, and she is proud. And she's kind of smug and arrogant and evil. All right. Then one day, she asks the mirror, and the mirror says, no, you're, you're number two now. Does any of the pride go away? Is it replaced by this freedom to know, you know, oh, I'm not the greatest? No. Uh, 
You're just as proud. She's just as proud. She's just angry and bitter and vengeful. All right, you can be two aspects of proud. You can either be on top or you can be on, on top and kind of looking down on everyone else, or you can be on the bottom resenting everyone above you because you actually do want to be the greatest. All right. Don't think that in your, in your great weakness you're humble and you're just resentful that you don't get to be as proud as others. All right, that's, 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 that's the human heart in distinction of from Jesus who has all of this greatness and is laying it down. All right, I ask you, all right, where are the areas of comparison? Where are you looking around and making sure that you're still on top? All right, kids, what questions are you asking of your parents? Who do you love the most? Who do you like the most? Who's the most creative? All right, got to kill that. Kill that, parents. Uh, we have to kill this in our hearts because we are outside of the, the way of our Savior. We're outside of the way of the kingdom. And we're going to be robbed of all joy and all real greatness. The pursuit of greatness in these ways, it just brings death. And so, Jesus comes and he, and he, he has a solution for us. All right, so... Uh, how do we find real greatness in the kingdom of God? Verse 35. He sat down and called the twelve. He kind of gathers them around, uh, like Julie Andrews, ready to sing a song. All right, that's how it feels. It's like lesson time. All right, we're ready to do this. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. All right, this is not what I'd expect. I expect Jesus to say, how dare you try to be great? How dare you try to be great? I'm the great one. He doesn't say that. He says, there, there is greatness. There is greatness in my kingdom. In the kingdom, there is a path towards greatness, but it's by being last of all and servant of all. He doesn't say, stop trying to be great. He doesn't say, stop trying to be great. He doesn't say that Greatness itself is this great sin. No, he's saying, you know what? I, I offer you greatness in all of its purity, but it's a different path. What is it not? It's not the path of rising up to the top, of outwitting the dumb people around you, of outshining all of the dull people around you. It's not about crushing all of the weak people with your strength. What is it about? It's about being able to get outside of yourself enough to look around you and not compare yourself to people, but ask yourself, what are the needs of the people that I see and how can I serve them? That that person is great in the kingdom of God. And, and in doing that, they are finding true and pure greatness. And a greatness that doesn't, doesn't care if anyone else is serving. You're looking around to see, how can I serve the people in front of me? How can I love them? How can I die for them? And it ends up in a very different path. Where, where does it end? It ends not with rising to the top so that 
people can feed you grapes and fan you with palm leaves. Uh, it's not so that they can sing your praises. It's so that uh, the end result is you serving people. That you serve more often than other people. I was once saying, I was like, yeah, I don't know how great I'll be in heaven. And the person, they responded, they're like, you don't want to be great in heaven. You just have to serve all the time. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably not that much of a servant, so you probably won't be great. All right, that is the path. And uh, do you believe that is the path to greatness? If you see that person, do you see the path of greatness? When you see Jesus walking that path, do you see the path of greatness? I think remarkably, our, our culture is starting to see it a little bit. You see hints of it. That uh, kind of the love for just pure, the pure wealthy people is kind of starting to wane. They're, they're seeing that the lack of shine there and saying just like getting as much as you can versus giving as much as you can. Uh, there seems to be this love for this, this person who does have but gives. All right, who are the heroes lately in our culture? I think in a good way, they're people who have greatness and end up giving it away. Uh, we talk about the, those who serve us in kind of the medical fields, and they're, they're servants. They're serving. They're serving those unto possible death, and they're being rejoiced for it. They're acknowledged that that is a path of greatness. I think of, uh, this one's kind of dumb, but who does who do everyone love in Hollywood? Keanu Reeves. <laughs> all right, why do they love Keanu Reeves? Because he's, He's probably one of the wealthiest actors, and what does he do? He just gives all his money away. He gives them to the set designers and the, the costume people, and he lives like this normal, humble life. All right, if you really think in your heart, at your funeral, when people are reading about you, what will be great? Will, be, will it be who, who you stepped on, the people that you outlasted to to destroy the competition, or it will be like who you served, who you loved, who you cared for, who you sacrificed for. We all know that is that is the life well lived. That is the path of greatness. And Jesus, in his great wisdom, he's he's offering that to us. And he's saying, you know what? Yes, be great. Be great. Go for, go for glory. Be all about the, the way of my kingdom, but this is the way to do it. And it, it is a great blessing that he allows us to enter into it. He invites us on the path of greatness. And then he helps us get there. All right, he says, you know what? Uh, I don't want this to be totally abstract. I don't this, want this to be kind of this, this psychological treatment. I don't want this to be uh, this theological pill that if you swallow it, then you'll magically uh, not be pri- proud, proud anymore. Uh, no, very tangibly, he gives them kind of a workout. A physical therapy routine. Verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, 
Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All right. You've heard Jesus talk about a child before? This is not Jesus saying, be childlike. All right, did we all hear that? This is not Jesus saying, be childlike. He says that other places. That's not this time. What does he say? He takes the lowest person in all of society that has no clout, that has no esteem, that has no greatness. And he says, you know what? Receive this one. Serve this one. Love this one. And if you do, you will be receiving me, the great king. Now, why does he say that? He says, well, it, what's true of this is that this child cannot offer you anything in return. Anything you give them has to be grace because they cannot give it back to you. And children are blissfully ignorant that you're actually serving them. They won't thank you. They won't even notice. And they'll demand more the second they realize that you're going to serve them. All right, and... They're, they're not going to win you anything in loving and serving them. All right. How is it that doing that will make you receive Jesus and then receive the Ancient One, the Father who reigns on high? How does that work? All right, you guys know good theology. You say, no, how do you receive Jesus? By faith. You receive Jesus by faith. All right. We are tangible people who do stuff. And to say just have faith is hard for us. I realize it's hard for some of you. That feels very abstract and isn't very helpful. And so Jesus says, you know what? I'll give you a work that will help your faith and strengthen your faith and will make you understand the nature of my kingdom and the nature of the gospel all wrapped into one. Love this child. And as you love this child you will have to understand what grace is. Because you'll have to, you'll have to do it and, and realize that this is what I do to you every single time I love you and care for you. This is the gospel. You are giving the gospel to this child and you can pay nothing in return. That's how I love you. And as you do this, your faith will increase that your hope is not in your glory in this world, your hope is in the gospel and is in Christ and is in the resurrection. And as you do that, you'll recognize, you know what, either I believe in Jesus and what he will offer me in eternity or else I would never do this. And it's a test to see, like, can you live that way? Can you live under Christ? And can you live with your hope in the resurrection as you serve this child who offers you absolutely nothing in this world? Faith without works is dead. Love without deeds is lip service. And faith without the ability to love this child is not real faith. That's what he's saying. That's what he's inviting us into. He's inviting us into actually believing that the resurrection is real, that only in Christ 
and by following the way of the gospel and the way of faith and the way of grace, will we find greatness? Now, what does this look like for you? All right, some of you uh, are really called just to serve kids, to serve kids and love them. Uh, parents, this is your opportunity. You have, a, you have a crash course. You've been thrown into the deep end. You are called to, to be the gospel to these kids. As a church, we want to love the kids Nursery, these kids' lessons that we give, uh, the youth group, these are opportunities to, to grow in our faith and to love Christ tangibly, to grow in our knowledge of the gospel, to find greatness. To find greatness. Uh, but for others of you, maybe this is a call to love the poor who cannot repay to be kind to the prisoner who does not deserve it. The, the call to the widow or the widower who can only offer in their loneliness and the hurting, the sick. We are called to follow Christ and to pursue greatness through these means. And as a church, uh, we are going to pursue greatness in these means. We want to go out there and not just, we can say really easily in here that we love people. That we love people and we just, we just long to love them. Uh, we, we're going to go out there and, and love them and realize we don't love them. <laughs> and we're going to realize how desperately we need the gospel and how, how we don't really understand that Jesus loves us without deserving anything, without expecting anything in return, because we'll go out there and we'll resent that people didn't say thank you. And we'll resent that people are trampling on grace. And we'll resent that they have nothing to offer us. They didn't grow our church. They didn't give us a gift basket. They didn't leave us a, a nice review on Google, whatever it is. Uh, we'll resent it. And we'll come back and we'll say, wait, we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand that the, the greatness is given to us not, because, not here, but only upon the resurrection because we have put faith in a Savior who didn't find greatness here, but found greatness in the resurrection. All right. We are currently training deacons who will train you and call you to come out and serve, uh, which I'm so excited about, that we get to actually go tangibly live out the gospel to people so that we have a deed that will reinforce our word. And we'll have works that will say, hey, you, no, we really do love you. And we do want you to understand the gospel. Right? I know that some of you are longing for that kind of thing. I'm longing for it too, to actually go out and do stuff. And to, to serve the children, to serve the poor, to serve the needy, to, to love. Um, this is new for us. I, re I recognize. Um, but we will become a, a great church that maybe no one will know is a great church except Christ at the resurrection. And I remind us of this. Um, 
We are these children. We are the children. The disciples are obviously the children. Uh, They're childish. Uh, Jesus Christ loved us. We had nothing to offer. All he had was sin. All we had was death that he could take from us. We had crosses. And Jesus came and took our crosses and calls us to greatness in his kingdom, shows us the path, and then is the greatest in the kingdom of God by dying and resurrecting for us. Um, Let's pursue that greatness. Not in pride, not in running from the call, but for once again taking up our crosses and finding greatness of the resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Father, even as I say all these things, uh, in my heart and in our hearts, we don't want to get back on that bike. Um, We don't want to bear our crosses, and we ask that you would make the gospel true to us, that we would understand that Christ died to raise from the dead, and if we die here, we'll be resurrected in glory with Christ and enter into a greatness that this world can never offer. And that we can share in the blessings of the Son of Man, that we can stand before the Ancient One, free of sin and guilt and shame, that we can be part of an everlasting kingdom that is eternal, and we can reign with Christ. Father, we ask that you would shape our hearts. to enjoy that vision and to love Christ and to follow him. We pray in Christ's name.